You are listening to the Best in Wealth Podcast, episode number 237. This is the Best in Wealth Podcast, a show for successful family stewards who want real answers about wealth and investing so we can feel secure about our family's future. At the Best in Wealth Podcast, we think differently about wealth and investing, and you should too. Well, hello everyone. My name is Scott Wellens, and I'm your host of the Best in Wealth Podcast. This is a show dedicated to helping real people, that is you, my friend, build real wealth so together we can take family stewardship to the next level. I am a fiduciary, a fee-only certified financial planner, an educator, and a wealth advisor, and it's great to be with you today. Today's episode is Should I Invest in the Magnificent Seven? But before we get to the topic of the day, first of all, I want to thank you for being a longtime listener. That is, if you are, I appreciate you tuning in once again. And if you're a first-time listener, thank you for being here as well. We really, really appreciate it. And if you like the show, please go to that iTunes Purple Podcast app and give us a review. That would be greatly appreciated. You know, I remember at the beginning of my investing journey in the late 90s and shortly after, it was popular to invest in the BRICS. What are the BRICS? Well, it's an acronym denoting the emerging economies of Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South America. And the term was originally coined in 2001 as BRIC by Goldman Sachs economist Jim O'Neill. He wrote a paper telling us on how those economies were going to explode, and they already were exploding. And the stock market returns in those countries were really good. So people started pouring into the BRICS. Well, a lot of times people start pouring into things after they hear about them. They start following the herd. And a lot of people who invested in the BRICS ended up not doing very well because they were late to the game. And what they did was they took money from maybe the U.S. stock market or a different asset class instead of staying in their lane, and they invested in the BRICS. And before the BRICS was the Nifty 50, which was popular in the 60s to invest in the most popular companies. News columnists are always looking for that next bright, shiny object that you should be doing. Let's get to the topic of the day. All right, here we go. Should I invest in the Magnificent Seven? Well, you might be asking yourself, what the heck is the Magnificent Seven? So today we're going to go over who these companies are, the performance of these companies versus the U.S. stock market, how the Magnificent Seven is doing year-to-date in performance, and does the Magnificent Seven or any seven in history, after they've become the Magnificent Seven, does the stock returns persist? Because hopefully you want to know, and I want to know, because I was one that became victim of the bricks. I started taking money from other parts of my investing, and I was overweighting in the bricks, like I talked about in the introduction. And a lot of us wonder, should we 
take some of our money from some of our asset classes and invest in what's doing the best. Well, that's why we're talking about the Magnificent Seven. The Magnificent Seven are seven companies in America that are doing the best, that we know the best, that is having an unbelievable year and quite honestly has had persistence through a bunch of years. And these companies are Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, which is Google, Amazon, NVIDIA, Tesla, and Meta, which is Facebook. These are the Magnificent Seven. These companies have been doing very well this year. And to just give you an example of how well they're doing, I do have some statistics in front of me. Now, this dates back to the end of July, and now we're in December, but you will get the point. At the end of July, the stock market was doing really good, kind of like it is right now in the middle of December. At the end of July, we had just gone through some really good months, and the U.S. stock market return, which consists of mostly the S&P 500, was up a little over 20%. Let's round that down and call it 20%. Now, as we all know, well, unless you're looking at your portfolio, from that end of July, we had a horrible August, a horrible September, a horrible October, but then November was excellent and December so far is excellent. The S&P 500, as of yesterday, was up about 24.5%. Not much different than where it was at the end of July. But what if we took that 20% U.S. stock market return and stripped out these seven companies? Now, keep in mind, the U.S. stock market consists of about four to 5,000 publicly traded companies. I'm just pulling out seven. I'm just going to pull out the magnificent seven companies, Apple, Microsoft, Google, Amazon, NVIDIA, Tesla, and Meta. If I pull those out and we look at those returns at the end of July with the U.S. stock market 20.3%, to give you an example how magnificent these seven companies have been year to date, that U.S. stock market return stripping out the Magnificent Seven goes from 20.3% to 10.8, almost half. That's seven companies out of around 4,000 that we took out and accounted for half of the U.S. stock market return. Isn't that magnificent? Isn't that unbelievable? Almost half. And the reason for that is twofold. Number one, these companies have been doing great. They've been doing magnificent. The returns have been unbelievable this year. And number two, these companies are so big that when they perform well, you're going to get a whole lot more shock to the overall U.S. market compared to smaller companies that are doing really well. So how good have these companies been doing? Well, I looked at the year-to-date returns for the Magnificent Seven ending yesterday, 12-14-2023. And I'm going to give you these returns, but let me tell you ahead of time, this is not, I repeat, this is not an endorsement to invest in solely the Magnificent Seven. Investing in the Magnificent Seven has all kinds of risk. All I'm merely doing 
is pointing out the returns of the Magnificent Seven through 12-14-2023, year-to-date. Let's look at the Magnificent Seven. Apple, year-to-date, up 58.4%. That's magnificent. Microsoft, just a little bit behind that, up 52.74% year-to-date. Now, this is compared to the S&P 500 that's up about 25% year-to-date. Apple, 58.4. Microsoft, 52.74. Google, below slightly Microsoft, up 48.5% per year. But man, what great stock market returns for these first three. But guess what? It gets better. Amazon, year-to-date, up 71.78%. That doesn't surprise me. There's an Amazon box at my doorstep just about every day. I hope all you listeners aren't like me that have three daughters. One of them doesn't even live with us anymore. She's living off in Washington, D.C. We still see an Amazon box at our doorstep just about every day. Returns get even better. Tesla, 132% year-to-date through 12-14-2023. Facebook, up 167%. And to round out the Magnificent Seven, NVIDIA up 238%. Isn't that magnificent? Why I talked about the bricks at the beginning of this podcast is that was the kind of performance that I was seeing in the BRICS was outsized performance compared to the U.S. stock market, compared to the world stock market. Those countries that I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South America, that was our Magnificent Seven, even though there was only five of them. It was the Magnificent Five. Jim O'Neill could have called it the Magnificent Five. Those returns were amazing. People were talking about how we needed to add these bricks or this brick to our portfolio that we really needed to concentrate in those countries if we wanted to see really good returns. So that's what I did. But guess what? I followed the herd. I would have done a whole lot better had I gotten in those bricks four, five, six years earlier. But Jim O'Neill coined the bricks in 2001, then it started gaining steam. And to be honest with you, I don't know when I started shifting my portfolio around and investing more in these countries. All I know is when I did, it didn't help my portfolio. Why? Because I was late to the game. The Magnificent Seven have been magnificent for a long period of time. Let me tell you how magnificent. I read an article that just came out last week by Wes Krill, who writes a blog called Above the Fray. And it caught my eye because I can't tell you how many times I've had clients come in here and want to take their portfolio and shift it into the Magnificent Seven or into more growth. What I've learned all these years being a financial advisor is a lot of people understand that they need to stay in the stock market that timing the stock market doesn't work. I think a lot of people get that. What people don't get is that 
They need an investment plan. They need an investment policy statement that states what percentage of each asset class are you going to be in. Large, large value, small, small value, real estate, international, emerging. What are the percentages that you're going to hold and then stick in your lane? Because instead what I see are people looking at recent past performance and moving their investments around to different mutual funds, leaning on other asset classes, investing in single companies like the Magnificent Seven, and so forth. So I thought it'd be great to share with you Wes Krill and what his research and what his team has done in this Above the Fray article titled, Magnificent Seven Outperformance May not continue. We don't know if it will or not. We don't have a crystal ball. But what we can do and what Wes has done for us is looked at companies throughout history that were in the top 10, the top 10 best performers. And he looked at annualized returns in excess of the U.S. stock market before joining the top 10 and while they were in the top 10. And he went all the way back to December 1927 through 2022, not using 2023 yet because we haven't been through it. So looking at the largest 10 companies and their average returns in excess of the U.S. stock market, which is on average about 10%. And when you look at the top 10, so keep in mind that top 10 is probably changing every year. Some years it might not. Some years, NVIDIA has been in it the last couple of years, but hasn't been in it 10 years ago. Companies a long time ago, like GE, were in the top 10. They're no longer in the top 10. So we're just looking at the top 10. 10 years before these companies even hit the top 10, their average return in excess of the U.S. stock market was 12%. So if we just add 10% to that, that's 22% per year. 10 years before not even a blip on the map yet. We don't even know who these companies really are. Five years before joining, even joining the top 10, the outperformance over the US market was 20%. Amazing. And three years before joining the top 10, companies before joining were seeing returns in excess of the US stock market at 27%. These companies were coming in as a roller coaster. They were magnificent companies. Maybe it's time we start investing in them. Here's the shocker. Here's the kicker that Wes found out. Once these companies join the top 10, once they hit their pinnacle in the top 10, these returns were not necessarily persisting. And I'm not saying that every company didn't because some companies persist for a long time. But when we look at the average of the largest 10 companies since 1927, three years after joining the top 10, these companies' average returns 0.6% annualized above in excess of the U.S. stock market. Meaning, you might do a touch better, five years after joining the top 10, the average company underperformed the U.S. stock market by a percent per year. 10 years after joining, underperformed the stock market by a percent and a half. This is a ton of research 
that Wes Krill and his team did, which is showing a lot of evidence, no guarantees on anything, that companies that become really, really, really big don't always persist. If you look at all the companies in the S&P 500 that are here right now, and you go back 50 years, all those names are going to be different. All of those names are going to be different, besides maybe a few, than the top 500 companies today. Companies go up and companies go down. Will the Magnificent Seven persist with these kinds of performance outsizing the U.S. stock market in the future? Well, we don't have a crystal ball, but I think there's a lot of evidence that says we need to stay in our lane. I mean, it's tough. It's tough because you look at some of these companies like Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, NVIDIA, Google, Facebook, and you're like, there is no way that these performances are not going to persist, that they're not going to continue. But these companies all have something in common, tech. And tech is booming. With artificial intelligence making its way on the scene, we don't know what's happening. What we do know is a lot of these companies, all of this information is already priced in. What we don't have is the availability of new information. We don't know if NVIDIA is going to continue with this crazy performance. We have no idea. We think that it will because we all suffer from this recency bias where we think all we can think of is what happened yesterday. And yesterday and this year, these magnificent companies have been doing absolutely awesome. But what I have learned is that people that don't stick with an investment policy statement, that they're just willy-nilly with their investments, that they're just staying true to the one tenant, which is staying in the market. And what they really need to do is stay in their lane in each of these asset classes. All you have to do is look at what happened in the last month. Before a month and a half ago, the S&P 500 was killing every other major asset class. And the S&P 500 has done just fine since, but it has not performed anywhere near asset classes like real estate, like small companies, like small value. And all of those people that shuffled their money from some of these asset classes that were doing bad, even negative returns at the end of October are now kicking themselves because they shifted money around. And I do not want you to start shifting money around to the Magnificent Seven if that performance is not gonna persist. If you have an awesome plan, you own all of these companies. You own them all in your exchange-traded funds. My time is out. I'll see you all on the flip side. Bye-bye. The Best and Wealth Podcast is hosted by Scott Wellens. Scott Wellens is the principal of Fortress Planning Group. Fortress Planning Group is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the SEC, an exchange committee in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Fortress Planning Group does not render or often render personalized investment or tax advice through the Best and Wealth Podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only. It does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.